Hey everyone, and welcome to the South Carolina Grower Exchange Podcast. Every week, agents, specialists, and growers from around the state chat about what's happening in the field and discuss the latest crop weather, insect, disease, and weed issues, as well as timely reminders and information related to fruit and vegetable production in South Carolina. Remember, you can read weekly field updates and register for upcoming events by visiting the SC Grower blog at scgrower.com. From here, from my computer and hope it works. Yeah. We were able to salvage, um, after many hours of looking and working, the audio from last week. So. Sounds about like me and the SC Grower website yesterday. Uh, I mean, it's good that we can kind of plug and play with different people, but Damn, it's nice when the person who's responsible for it does it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I I ended up calling. Um, I started with Millie, and then ended up with Vicky Landris, and then talked with Amy Dabs, and figured out that it's she ended up logging in for me, like with my login stuff, and it was fine on her end. So we figured out it's my computer. Oh, really? Something with my web browser. It's weird. Hmm. It's like the the edit screen I initially look at is fine, but the minute I scroll, the background is black. So I can't read anything. Right. Because <laughs> the type is black and the background's black. So I ended up having to use a remote desktop so Marty set me up, the IT guy set me up with a remote desktop and I was able to do it that way. And he's like, we'll have to figure it out. Yeah, that's but weird. It was or so Justin weird. can never be off on Monday again. That's right. That's right. Yeah. You know, I kind of like being off on Monday. It was a mess. Justin, it was a mess. That was a burden off of me. It was nice. <laughs> I wanted so many times to email Sarah to ask her a question or text her and I'm like, I'm not gonna bother, <laughs> but I really need you. <laughs> oh, have you talked to her, Carrie? How's she doing? Um, I hadn't talked to her yesterday or today, but she was good over the weekend. Um, things have been good and just baby life. Yeah, you know. Just Rob, you look like a um, a truck driver, eighteen wheeler operator, <laughs> or a telemarketer. Yeah. Ten four. Could, could be a bit of both, but at least it's safe to drive. <laughs> or Tony Melton. Yeah, T Melton. <laughs> uh, Bruce, are you back? Cool. Um. I'll go ahead and um, start the podcast. I think it's pretty much everybody. Corey, do you want to talk, say anything? Do you want to be here? Um, I'll introduce it. We'll go around the horn. We'll start with um, maybe Carrie. We'll work from the top of the stake down. So Carrie, Justin, Rob, um, Bruce, maybe give a very brief update since you're going to be the interviewee today. Um, and then I'll give a small update um, from down here. And then we'll uh, we'll do your interview, Bruce. We'll try to keep it at um, 
I don't know, what do we say, about 10 minutes or so? Yeah, I think that's what pretty much what we were talking about, about 10 minutes. Okay. And we'll try to, I'll try to ask you the questions, but, you know, if you start going on a long rant or something, I may kind of stop you and I'll ask you a question so you can continue, but just kind of break up the long segments. Um, and then we'll close it out. So y'all ready? All right, welcome everybody. It is June 29th. We're glad you're able to join us on this week's edition of the South Carolina Grower Exchange. Um, we're gonna start this week out by going around the state, uh, but instead of starting on the coast and working up, we're gonna go to the upstate because I think some things are actually finally happening. Y'all thawed out and um, don't have any frost on the ground or any of that sort of thing. So Carrie, can you give us an update of what's going on in the corner of the state? Yeah, so we are, like Zach said, we've, we're in the thick of it now. Um, you know, most all of our farmers markets have opened and are starting to, growers are starting to really have some variety to bring to markets. Um, we are just about done with strawberries. I've heard one or two growers um, that have, you know, a few, um, had some over the weekend, but pretty much finished up. Blueberries are starting to come in. Um, so that's always exciting. That's probably one of my favorites. Um, so that's good to see. We have had some of these, um, spotty pop-up showers. Um, so especially for our smaller growers, irrigation is, is just key right now. If you're not under that rain cloud, um, you got to be making sure that those those plants are getting enough water. Um, and then we've seen some sunburn or sun scald on different crops. Um, I know somebody else posted, was it you, Zach, that posted about bell pepper? Um, yeah, we, we've seen a good bit of sun scald um, lately. Yeah, so we've even, even here in the upstate, we've just had some, um, so, you know, making sure that things are, are well, um, you know, good, good health despite that. Um, I met with our apple growers this past weekend. Um, we're looking at some summer pruning on the horizon for them. So, I'm working on getting together a meeting for those growers to talk about some summer pruning stuff soon, um, probably mid, late July. Um, but other than that, I mean, it's looking good. Japanese beetles are everywhere. I mean, but that's just normal, but nothing crazy out of the ordinary um, for us, so. Good deal. Well, thanks. Yeah, um, talking about the sun scald while we're on that, you know, it, when I was in grad school, that was a big um, thing between the horticulturalists and the plant pathologists. You know, the horticulturalists call it sun scald and the plant pathologists call it a, uh, a pathogen, you know, or disease that kills the plant that leads to sun scald. So that was always the battle, you know, in the fields when we were raiding, is it sun scald or is it due to, to a disease? But like you said, you know, keeping the, the plant healthy, proper irrigation, proper fertilization, you know, uh, keeping diseases off uh, the plant, the foliage, bacterial spot um, primarily, and then keeping some of the root rots at bay uh, really goes a long way in making a good canopy for the plant, which gives the fruit shade that you can develop and 
um, you know, ripen and even turn yellow or red or, or whatever color your peppers are going to turn without getting that sun scald. So um, anyway, uh, just some some tips there. All right, Justin, what's going on in the sandy part of the state? Uh, we got excellent, excellent disease weather right now. It's been just kind of drizzly a little bit here and there. We've gotten some scattered showers just about every day over the last several days. Uh, so we've got diseases just going crazy. Uh, we're seeing powdery mildew on a number of things. Downy mildew is spreading pretty good. Uh, we've got various fungal leaf spots and some bacterial leaf spot here and there. Uh, so we're just seeing a lot of it. Growers just really need to hunker down and focus on their fungicide sprays. I uh, did talk to a strawberry grower uh, who was trying to keep his stuff going through most of the month of June. And he said a week or so ago, they had a big infestation of a spotted wing drosophila. Uh, we normally don't see those too bad in early spring strawberries. Um, very few growers keep them going this late. That's probably one reason why we shouldn't always try to keep them going this late. Uh, this same grower has got some blackberries, so that could be bad news for his blackberries. Um, we're harvesting a lot of other vegetable crops right now, squash, zucchini, cucumbers, uh, tomatoes, peppers, uh, and a number of herbs as well. So got a lot going on. Um, disease is probably the biggest thing right now. Yep, good deal. And spotting Drosophila, you know, I haven't seen it in a few years here, but that's interesting, you know, how it can move from one crop to the next. So if you over, if you, you kind of overplay your card for one crop, then it could be a real problem on the, on another like blackberry or blueberry crop or something. So that's interesting. Um, let's go with Rob. I know you found some interesting things this week. I used to be the first person uh, in South Carolina to find things, but now Rob's kind of taking that title from me. So what you got, Rob? Sorry to stay in thunder, Zach. Um, let's start with the positives. We've got a wide range of good quality produce coming to market, ranging from squash, zucchini, tomatoes, peppers, and sweet corns just starting to come in. Um, disease, as Justin mentioned, is really big around here from leaf spots through anthracnose fruit, fruits uh, rots. We did find and have confirmed in two places uh, in my region, so that's Allendale and Barnwell County, cucurbit downy mildew is now active in watermelons, and that's been confirmed in two of our counties. So if growers aren't already doing so, it's really now is a key time to try and protect those plants to keep to try and manage the disease and hold it so we can get through harvest. Some of the best products revolve around rotating fungicides with Mancozet, so that could be a Manzate tank mix partner, with a Rondis Ultra or Ranman. Those would be the two that I would tend to go for right now as the, the major brand uh, Daniel view prevention materials and to try and hold it. But where crops are coming off, fruit's looking really good and fruit quality's looking good. Rob, we're gonna put you on the spot here for a second. Um, down here, you know, we're we're on our second, third-ish pick of watermelons. Um, and you may not have an answer and there might not be a good answer, but 
when kind of is the point of diminishing returns as far as spraying for downy mildew? You know, obviously if I haven't harvested yet, then it might be worth a spray. But if I'm on my second pick, you know, is it worth it? Keep it going until last harvest would be my advice. Um, the longer we can protect those leaves, the better quality fruit you're going to get from those final picks. Good deal. All right. Thanks, man. Good to know. Good to know. Um, all right, and last, we're going to, well, before last, we're going to uh, go to the PD region uh, to hear from Bruce McLean. Bruce, you want to give us a quick update? Hey, Zach. Uh, sure. Yes. Uh, so it, everything's coming off really, uh, really well right now. It's uh, still got a little ways to go on uh, watermelon and cantaloupe and okra, but probably be picking those um, really about in, the, in the next week. So we're getting pretty close on it, but everything else looking really good. As far as uh, the crop coming in, uh, a few problems. Um, have seen a couple of fields, uh, tomato fields with uh, with southern blight, and uh, you know which is is pretty uh, um, pretty widespread, especially on the earliest plantings of the the tomatoes. Not so much on the later uh, plantings. So so we've still got some hope, you know, trying to preserve those to some degree. Um, and, uh, you know, cucurbit, uh, downy mildew, uh, it, very widespread, uh, on, seen it on cucumbers and squash. And, uh, so it's, uh, it's pretty widespread, but the, the growers said that, that are, uh, really, uh, spraying with some of the management type, of, uh, you know, fungicides, uh, the Arondas or Ranman, uh, gavel, you know, really being able to, to really hold it off really well. And uh, it's uh, you know doing doing a really good job. The uh, only other thing, major problem has been uh, um, cowpea cucurlio has been really bad. Uh, you know, with some of the growers and and honestly, you know, it's uh, I know I was talking to Tony Melton yesterday, and it sounds like that um, all the the growers that that's really uh, having problems with it is um, you know that they may have missed that initial spray. Or either, I know one grower in particular, he he had timed it right, or but you know, he said that that right after he had he had sprayed, he had a pretty heavy rain. So he, he was thinking that that may have been uh, you know, what really caused uh, sort of that 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 break in protection. And so, but it's um yeah, it's it's this uh you know the, the fields has got is just really, really bad. Yep. Good deal. And it's funny you mentioned um, southern blight. You know, I've I don't know if it's the weather or what, but I've seen more southern blight this year than I have. I mean, you always see it, but this year it seems to be particularly worse than in other years. Um, and bacterial wilt up until like last week hasn't been bad, but with all this rain uh, and with a heavy fruit load, I've seen a lot of plants go down to bacterial wilt. Um, another thing that I've seen, you know, we've had some heavy winds and some pretty, you know, Carrie mentioned pop-up storms and whatnot. So some areas of the county, you know, have received, you know, six, eight inches of rain and others are kind of dry, depending on where you are. But we've had a lot of wind this year and tomato steaks were hard to find earlier in the season. So a lot of people resorted to using older steaks and that sort of thing. So I've seen a lot of fields where the tomato steaks, because they were weak, old or rotted or, or whatever, actually blown over. And so I've seen and, and on some fields where they have, you know, have had these storms, actually a considerable amount of damage due to winds uh, with those old tomato steaks breaking. So, um, 
anyway, something something every every year, every week, I guess. Um, squash bugs too um, have been bad this year, uh, more so than I can ever remember. Um, and they're even getting on cucumbers, uh, squash, zucchini. Um, so that's something to look out for. And, and you know, there's management options in the crop handbook. So um, that's it with the uh, weekly around the state. Um, now I'm going to uh, interview Bruce McLean. Uh, Bruce is going to give us some updates on muscadine. It's the topic of the month here. Um, so Bruce, why don't you just uh, start out by telling us a little bit about who you are, uh, where you've worked, and kind of your background and that sort of thing. Okay. Uh, name's Bruce McLean. I am uh, the commercial horticulture uh, agent for uh, Marion, Ori, Dillon, and Marlboro County. So pretty much everything right along the, the northern tier uh, of the state right there at, uh, across the uh, South Carolina, North Carolina line from Myrtle Beach back up towards Bennettsville. So it's um yeah you know, I've been been with Extension about uh, about eight years now uh, two years with Clemson and uh, prior to working with Clemson worked with uh with NC State for uh, flew over six years um, worked a lot with with small fruits while I was up in North Carolina so when I came down here you know just really uh, just you know tried to continue that once I got down here. Good deal. And you mentioned kind of your areas of responsibility, but what is your uh, role with Extension? Like what, what kind of uh, production um, growers are you working with and, and what, what do you, what do you like most about doing that? Okay. They, uh, I work a lot with, uh, you know, with commercial fruit, vegetable and nut production and, and even a little bit of uh, herb production and cut flower production uh, here around Marion County. And, uh, but, you know, I really, uh, I've worked a lot more with small fruits and I guess that's maybe a little bit more of my specialty is, is especially um, blueberries and muscadines especially. Good deal. And do you have any uh, current projects going on with blueberries and muscadines that you want to share with us? I do. Um, you know, I, I, I do a lot of, uh, um, quite a bit of work centered around blueberry and, and muscadine production. Really looking at a lot of the, the insects that uh, yeah that that are found in blueberry fields and and muscadine vineyards uh, and also do a little uh, you know a little bit of breeding as well on both of those but uh, but really you know on the as far as any infield uh, research or anything like that is uh, I do do work a lot with with, uh, with especially with with um, with insects. Uh, and, and it's not necessarily just, uh, you know, insect pests, but also just what else is there? You know, the, the good guys, the bad guys, uh, the ones that, that, that are there, and we, we, we really have never thought of them as being, you know, anything uh, as, as a pest, to, you know, especially like with muscadines. But all of a sudden, we're kind of realizing it's like, hey, they are pests, you know, they are affecting the, the crop. Uh, also, you know, just really even looking at, um, you know, some, some insects that are just perennially there, that, that just kind of reside there and that really aren't a detriment to the crop or anything like that. But also, you know, even looking at some of the ones that, that's just, just transient, that, that's just kind of kind of passing through, that they're, that they're there for a short period and then, you know, gone. Um, but it's uh, one in particular is the, uh, it's the grapefruit borer. And, you know, that one is one that, that you know, I think really, Anybody that, that works with muscadines or, or grows uh, muscadines commercially, 
that should be their sort of their 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 top priority is uh, is really uh, monitoring for the for the great uh, grapefruit borers. Now, now you said the great root borer. Now, what can you tell us a little bit about maybe what the insect looks like or or, or what is it? Is it a beetle? Is it a moth? A lepidopteran? Like what are what are we looking for here? It is. It, it is a moth. It's a it's a clear wing moth, and it's uh, the species is uh, Vitacea polistiformis. And if you take the second part of the the name, is uh, polistiformis means polistas like, and polistas is the genus for paper wasp. And so they look just like a paper wasp, like a large paper wasp, the same uh, color pen, uh, patterns and everything. They are mimic for them. And uh, but if you if you notice them flying around the vineyard. They do have more of a buzz sound to them, almost like a like a bumblebee. Um, they're they're very noisy, um, very noisy flyer. And um, so let, it, me, uh, let me interrupt you real quick. So even though it looks like a wasp, it's actually a moth, correct? Correct. It is a moth. And the way that you can tell the difference, you know, if you if you get close enough to them, uh, just look at the uh, at the wings and the it is you, you can see it's, it's almost a it's a clear wing but it does have kind of an outline. Okay, so so if I see this uh, in my field, how can I you know monitor for it? I mean, what are what are our control options? I mean, what 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 do I do? How how worried should I be if I find it? Okay, well let let, let me. Say a little bit about what it does. Is that you know, it's the, the the females naturally lay the eggs, and so they lay it on the undersides of the leaves. And the once it hatches, it drops to the ground. the The larva goes goes down. They find a root. Basically, they, they chew their way into the root, and then they do just just tremendous amount of damage to the uh, to the root system. And it's this. It's not necessarily just a one year occurrence that that causes problems. It is the this repetitive having this repetitive population that's just causing you know just damage uh, over a prolonged period of time that really causes a lot of problems. It, it causes uh, vine weakness. It really causes uh, the the vine the vineyard to to really start backing up, uh, you know, and and really start getting weak. You start seeing production really fall down. Uh, you see weak vines. You see you know just a just a plethora of problems. You're related to to um, you know, as far as just a, a general weakness in the in the crop, but it's a one to two year uh, life cycle, so it does have this really long life cycle. Um, just and they typically emerge from July to about September, and so but there is ways to to control them, and then there's ways to monitor them as well. The primary thing that you really need to start doing, you know, if you even suspect them, and you know, and, and honestly, I've never been, I, I can't ever say that I've been in a vineyard that I didn't see at least some flight, some moth flight in there, uh, especially when you get over towards harvest. Um, so very likely they are uh, there in, in most, uh, most vineyards, but I do, um, have a, you're going to see it. You're going to see them flying during the day, correct? Absolutely, they are. They are uh, daytime flyers, and and so you know, they 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 do move around during the day. They're they're very easy to see. Um, you know, they're they um um yeah. They, they, honestly, they'll come right up to you and, and land right on you. It's uh you know they, you'll see them flying in and out of the canopy. So they're they're very um very easy to to see and, and identify. 
but uh, but typically what you want to do is you want to if you want to start you know I guess determine if you have them in your vineyard you need to think about how, some means of trapping or or you know of, of determining whether you have them in, in your vineyard and so just a typical bucket trap um, that you would buy from say like Great Lakes IPM is uh, is is fantastic it's uh, it's a uh, you know where you can load it with a pheromone uh, lure in the top and also you know put a kill strip down in the bottom the the moths fly in and once they get down the inside the uh, the you know the kill strip um, yeah kills them off and so what actually what you do is that the the, the pheromone baits the pheromone lures uh, come in these little packs that you can purchase uh, also at the same place. Um, so would I buy a specific um, pheromone for that moth or is it a general one? How, how do I know which one to buy? Absolutely. It's, uh, it's, it's one is specifically for the grapefruit borer. And it looks almost like a little pencil eraser. It's about the same size, same color, but it's actually, it's impregnated with the pheromone that uh, that lures the uh, this uh, the and what it is is uh, it lures the males primarily, and uh, and and what it uh, um, it does it 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 you know it it create creates this this lure you know to to draw in and so, you know in the, the the moths into the trap so basically you can start monitoring and really what you're looking at you're looking at about three different things you're looking for. Uh, you know, the, the timing of emergence and uh, the duration of, of emergence. And also, you're really trying to assess the, the intensity of the population. Not You, you can't take a, a full assessment of the population that's out there. But at least you can see that, you know, when they come in the heaviest, uh, the lightest, you know, if you have really large numbers, uh, if you, um, you, know, if, you know, periods where it's, where it's really light. So you would so you would put this up, I guess. I mean, since we're in the last week of June, first week of July now, we. I mean, if you're a muscadine producer and you wanted to monitor, you probably need to put it up now and leave it up till when, and then kind of monitor each week, every couple of days. What are we looking at? Ideally, you want to put it out um, the first part of July and just let it uh, stay in the. Uh, in the vineyard until uh, until set uh, well into September. I'd say at least mid September, maybe even late September if you have like uh, you know late muscadine variety, something like a, a granny Val or something like that's going to be you know just a really late uh, harvest window. But it's um uh but ch check it weekly, and uh, you know if you're if you're seeing you know one two you know half a dozen yeah it's nothing to be really alarmed about. But it's when you start seeing hundreds, you know, in the in there uh, in a single trap in in run of a week, uh, that's when you really start getting really really concerned. Uh, for a typical vineyard, uh, I would say you know four uh, four of these uh, these traps uh, just scattered you know, uh, throughout the vineyard. Um, you know, if you have uh, different varietal blocks. You know, especially like if you're if you're looking at fresh market uh, varieties, and you have different varietal blocks to kind of extend the season out. I would put one per varietal block, and uh, you know, but a minimum of four, but uh, you know, a maximum of you know, however many varietal blocks that you got. So we have so we have these traps, and we're out. We put them out early. Um, is trapping alone 
are we just doing that for presence or does that actually help with the population? And, and if it doesn't help with the population, what can we do when we start reaching those higher thresholds? You know, the, the, the traps is basically just to, to, just to look at their presence in the venue. Uh, if they're there, do they need to be monitored? You know, and, and if, it's, if you're only catching just a few in the, in the trap, it, is it really worth trying? Because honestly, we don't have uh, exact thresholds yet. Um, but it's, uh, it's basically, it's just a means of monitoring. And so, but if you are starting to see, you know, numbers that are starting to, you know, escalating numbers or numbers that, that, that you are um, really concerned, you know, like, you know, like dozens of, of moths in the traps, then it's, it's worthwhile. It's like, okay, I need to go ahead and treat. So there are four primary different, four primary ways of treatment because this is not a control. This is just a means of, of, of just monitoring. But there's, there's four primary ways of, uh, of control measures that, that you can take. Uh, one is chemical, one is mating disruption. The other one is, uh, is this, this physical change within the vineyard and by soil mounding. And, uh, and then the other one is, uh, is biological, it's uh, using um, uh, entomopathogenic uh, nematodes and uh, to actually you know, combat them below the soil. Uh, so the nematodes, so, sorry to interrupt you. So the nematodes work because they're, they have such long pupation cycles within the soil. Yes. So the idea is the nematodes will, will prey on them as they're pupating, correct? Exactly, exactly. Okay. So, so basically they, they, can, they can attack them in the larval state and the, and the pupal state. Okay, well, what about mounding? So, I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, uh, the next technique you said was mounding. Can you can you let us? Yes, yes. Uh, well, it's, uh, it's as far as soil mount soil mounding, and those two means are both uh, approved for you know approved methods for organic production. And so soil mounding is it typically works much better on um, on younger vineyards, not so much on older vineyards. Older vineyards you can really start getting a lot of damage away from the. You know, from the from just the base of the of the you know, of the vine because you know muscadines do have just such a really long uh, really large lo uh, root system that uh, that they can really you know, extend well away from the you know from the trunk and so but in in younger vineyards especially uh, basically coming in and building uh, ten to twelve inches of soil right around the the, the base of the the vines uh, right about July. And actually leaving it in place until um, most times the, the muscadines can tolerate it right on up to September, October time frame, possibly even November. But it does have to be physically removed from the vineyard annually. So it, it, this is just a temporary, you know, um, method of, of just bringing soil in, mounting around the, the vines, and then coming back in and removing it a little bit later on. It's a bit pricey, not so much, you know, because soil is, you know, we'll, we'll pardon, pun, pardon the pun, but it's, it's dirt cheap. It's, uh, you know, it's, 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 it is cheap. I mean, you know, but the, the cost is in all this, this physical labor and, and you know, the, the time requirement that it would take to, to actually move, you know, you're talking tons of soil uh, per acre. So they want, so I, I guess they, the idea is they only bore up until a certain point and then they want bore up higher. Is that the idea behind the mounding? 
Yeah, exactly. It it creates a sort of a a, a, a deep. It's almost like they were um, too deep in the soil to begin with, essentially, and and they just don't have enough energy reserves to to push them. You know, because basically they're moving up as a, in the pupil state. This they they've got this twist action that that forces them up to the to the surface. And if they're having to travel through another essentially another foot of soil is that they just really don't have the energy reserves to push themselves all the way to the surface. And that, and that basically they would die sort of in situ. But uh, just, and just to touch back on the uh, pathogenic um, uh, nematodes again, that, um, that method also organic is, uh, it is a bit pricey. The, the nematodes are rather, rather expensive. Very, very effective, but it is a biological, so it is something that, that you're going to have to, um, you know, the soil moisture's got to be just right. It can't be too dry, it can't be too wet. Um, you know, conditions have to be favorable for it. Um, they, they, they can be applied just by, by just a standard, um, just a sprayer. Uh, typically with flood nozzles, uh, work very well because basically you want to uh, really try to get them, you know, right along the, when I've seen them before is that they've been applied under uh, underneath the, the vines themselves. And so trying to trying to put out, you know, a, a, a good, you know, a good population of good, uh, good flow uh, into the road. And basically, you know, they'll, they'll get, they will come established. They'll stay there for a year, but it is something that they are not a recurring. Um, they don't have a recurring presence. They, they do have to be replenished every single year. All right. So another, I'm assuming, organic method would be to interfere with the mating process. So can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. On the, the mating disruption, you know, honestly, I could not find the actual product. I looked up on uh, as far as Omri just to see if uh, if it, I know some of the mating disruption is, um, does have uh, an Omri um, approval, uh, Omri's, uh, you know, your organic cert certification. I did not see that on the isomate uh, um, GRB, the, the grapefruit bore. Um, I did not see that on that. So I, I, I don't want to say 100%, uh, you know, um, for certain that it is organic, but I would say anybody that is organic that is looking at using a mating disruption, which most mating disruptions um, are, uh, uh, organically approved, but they do come with some restrictions. So I, before anybody organic uh, would would use that, I would just contact uh, you know the the manufacturer or the um, the distributor and just say, hey, you know, is this Omri approved? And uh, and then proceed from there because you know you're going to have to have your certificate anyway to to, to, to have on hand just to, just in case you're you're ever uh, you know called on it. But it, uh, it is it's very, very effective. It's, it is rather pricey. It's, uh, it's another rather ex uh, expensive method. But what it is is that it's, uh, we typically refer to them as bread ties. They look like a bread tie, um, just uh, like a, a, a tie that, that you would just go through the vineyard and, and just, just tie you know, throughout the vineyard. And some, some people actually tie it on the wires. Some people tie it in the, uh, in the, in the vines. Me personally, I, I like tying them in the vines. And because when you come back and you prune, um, you know, the, the, the following winter, 
then you actually you're pruning out all of those uh, you know, the the impregnated uh, mating disruption you know, ties. You're you're pruning all of them out, and you're not having to physically go through and untie them from the wire. And so that is a means of just uh, you know you know keep from from you know wasting time or you know having to spend the time to go back into the vineyard to to actually remove them. You know so and the thing of it is is that so the following year you're not it doesn't confuse you. It's like oh well there's already you know, the, the ties are already out here, so it doesn't need it. No, it's, it's basically, it's just to go ahead and, and, you know, get rid of them on an annual basis so, so it doesn't confuse you. But basically what it does, it floods the vineyard with female pheromones, and it confuses the males, and so the males go to the bread ties um, instead of going to the females. They have a lot uh, a lot more trouble trying to find the females and, you know, with, with that flood of pheromone all throughout the, uh, all throughout the vineyard. And so it dramatically reduces mating. It reduces, you know, naturally it reduces, uh, you know, egg production and, you know, drops the population down tremendously. Very, very effective method, but it, you know, it does, it does have some challenges. So let's say I've tried all these other methods in the IPM program and now I'm moving on to the heavy hitters. Yes. What could I spray to control this? How do I spray and when do I spray? Would BT work? I know you mentioned it would. It's a moth, but would just give us some control options here. Unfortunately, the only thing that's labeled is lower spinning, chlorpyrifos, and that's that's a that's a harsh chemical. I mean, it's this organophosphate, long lived in the environment. It's um it, you know, and and honestly, there's a lot of folks that have that take issue with using lower band around any type of food products. Understood. But it is, unfortunately, that is the only labeled product that we have. Now, there are some, some there is some work. Uh, I know uh, Hannah Brack, Dr. Hannah Brack up at uh, NC State, I know she's working through IR4, uh, you know, trying to look at some, some, some other options, you know, possible chemicals. The problem with it is, is that they, that they, that their life cycle, they have such a long life cycle, it's really hard to, to get, uh, results in a, you know, um, timely manner. I mean, this this is something that, that is going to take decades to really look at before we really start having options on on other chemicals. And the thing of it is, is that Laura's man, you know, given all of his faults, it still, it's a, it is a very effective product. It's, uh, you know, the thing of it is, is that it needs to be ground applied. It can't be foliar applied. It can't apply it to the foliage, can't apply it to the fruit or anything like that. It has to be on the lower portions of the trunk and, and, and the, the vineyard floor only. And so, uh, and it has to be 30, at least 35 days prior to harvest. And so that's not an issue with any of our wine grapes, uh, you know, because if you look at Carlos Noble, um, and this is, you know, talking muscadines, not bunch grapes, but uh, if we're talking, you know, Carlos Noble, Doreen, those are, you know, are, are well, you know, are around Labor Day or after, um, you know, harvest window. So basically, you just back up into July, you know, 35 days, and then give it maybe a, a, an extra week, just, you know, because you know sometimes harvest can be a little, little iffy on the back end of it as far as timing harvest. Just give it like an extra five to seven days, so you got, you know, a little bit of extra time there. So you, you definitely won't be harvesting within that, within that, that, that pre-harvest interval. The challenge is, is that the fresh market varieties, especially you get into some of your early fresh market varieties, um, that can be a challenge. You know, your late 
fresh market varieties, no, not, not that big of a deal, but your early fresh market varieties, is the timing is really, it gets really iffy. I mean, because, you know, you, you're talking about if, if you're harvesting, we'll just say the, you know, fresh market variety that you're starting harvest mid-August. Uh, back up 35 days from that, plus give yourself a little buffer. So you're talking 1st of July application. Yeah, I mean, we're spraying, yeah, I mean, if you're going to spray for them, you're spraying now. And exactly what you were saying is true earlier, then the major flights might not even be here or emergence exactly. might not even be here yet. So how effective is putting something out if what you're spraying for is not quite there yet? The thing of it is, is that Lord's band is very persistent. You know, it being over it does have that long persistence in, in the environment. And, and what it does is that when you apply it on the soil, it, it creates this barrier as they're emerging, but not only as they're emerging, but also any, any that had emerged that the, uh, the larva that's going back towards the ground, that it's also catching them on the back end of it as well. So it gets them going in and gets them coming out. Exactly. So, so basically, I did read somewhere, and uh, it said that Lord's band in this application was effective for it, the efficacy period was 60 days from application. So if you're if you're taking that in consideration, you know, if you're doing a, a early July application, you know, it's gonna it's it's gonna take care of you all the way up to to, to Labor Day, essentially. Mm -hmm. So very cool. So Laura's band is the only thing we can use. Watch out for the pre-harvest intervals on it. Um, if I'm a muscadine grower and there's one parting piece of advice that you want to give, what it, what would that be? Um, you know, it's, um, the, the thing of it is, is that, is that they, they cause some, they, the, the challenges, the, the problems that they cause is over a prolonged period. It's not something that, you know, is, is that it's going to come in this year and you know, and basically, you're going to see it, the effects of it immediately. It, this is something that is the, this prolonged period of time, and, and just having this 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 population, this recurring population that comes back every year, and that's that's causing you know uh, damage. And the damage that they're causing is not above ground to where we can actually see it; it's below ground. So you know, I mean, you can see it, but you're going to have to do some some pretty invasive you know digging to, to, to extract some roots and actually look at it. So, you know, it's, it's sort of out of sight, out of mind, um, you know, and, and you really don't see the damage five years down the road and all of a sudden you got a, a vineyard that's, that's really in massive decline. And honestly, to that, at, at that point, it's too late. It's, uh, you know, and, and the thing of it is, is that it, it's not only just on muscadines, it's, it's, on, it's on, you know, a bunch of grapes, it's on, you know, it's pretty much anything muscadine or anything grape, you know, vitus uh, related. It's, um, you know, it's it, it, in wild cultivated. It doesn't matter. I mean, they're 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 there. Yeah, and that's that's something I was going to mention too. Is you know we have so many. You know, muscadine is native, so I'm sure there's a lots of opportunities. Even if you're doing a good job on your farm, uh, there's probably you know lots of them out there that naturally occur. Uh, so we probably need to be extra proactive. And you know, you've kind of motivated me. I got a couple muscadine folks that I work with that you know, I might put up some traps and, and monitor because, you know, they've kind of mentioned that production isn't quite what it used to be. And so this, this could be it, you know, after hearing what you've said about this. So. Yeah. 
Well, thanks, Bruce. I appreciate it. Um, all your information on this. You're the you're the muscadine and blueberry guy I turn to. Um, there's a ton of information on our South Carolina grower site. Uh, we have some production guides, some IPM guides. Um, we also have the small fruit um, consortium on there. Uh, there's also my IPM. There's a section for insects and diseases as it relates to muscadines. You can download that app for free, but you got to download it on Wi-Fi because it's such a big file, but it's a great tool to have to take out in the field with you uh, to, you know, identify these pests and really look at some management options while you're in the field. So anyway, that's on our website, um, SC Grower. I appreciate everybody turning in, tuning in. We will take a week off because it's July 4th next week. Um, and so we'll take a week off, but we'll pick back up with Dr. Guido Schnabel, uh, our peach specialist. Um, just real quick, Justin, hamburger or hot dog for July 4th? Hamburger. Hamburger got carried. Are you a hamburger girl or a hamburger or a hot dog girl? Uh, I'll go with hamburger. Oh, okay. Bruce, what about you? Definitely hamburger. Hamburger. All right. Well, I'm, I'm going to even it out here. I'm going to say a hot dog and I'm going to put lots of mayonnaise on my hot dog, which a lot of people find weird. But um, anyway, Corey said, Corey Tanner, our team leader says cheeseburger. So um, anyway, I hope you all have a good safe fourth and we'll catch you in the next couple of weeks. Take care.